0: Welcome to To Put It Playfully, the podcast that explores all things kink, sex and lingerie. I'm your host Becky, enthusiast of all things playful and sensual. Each week we bring you a new guest to join the conversation and share their unique perspective. So join us as we delve into the fascinating and thrilling world of play, pleasure and everything in between hi and welcome to to put it playfully i'm your host becky and today we're chatting to dr carolina arick pole dancer blogger activist and academic also known as blogger on pole carolina was the first to publish research on the shadow banning of pole dancers and i'll let her tell you the rest it's such an honor to be chatting with you today you're such really show how like multifaceted people can be Thank you so much for having
1: me. I'm really excited. I love your brand. So this is like a dream.
0: Yeah. Uh, I
1: mean, to be honest, for me, it all started quite selfishly because my ass was getting censored on the internet (laughs) and when I was doing my PhD. And then it all kind of kickstarted and the two characters blended into one. Mm. I think quite a lot of people in the sex positive community have a lot of sides and nuances to them and i think that's what's really cool about doing these podcasts that you know you're
0: interviewing so many You can really learn about like what the ins and outs of people. And everyone has such a different story, even though like they might do similar jobs. It's like, oh, yeah, how you got there is so interesting. Like, tell me how you got into pole dancing in the first place.
1: Yeah, sure. So I was doing a master's in criminology at the University of Sydney, where I moved because I needed to get out of London, where I'd done my undergrad and where I was working in PR and I was really burnt out and I was just getting out of an abusive relationship and for a variety of legal reasons the only country my abusive ex couldn't get into was Australia so I applied to one master's at the University of Sydney and I was like if I get in it's like destiny I need to go and I got into it so I went And I had all of these assumptions and ideas of what my life in Sydney would be. I thought I'd become some sort of self-made entrepreneur selling panini on Bondi Beach (laughs) from a truck and becoming like this, I don't know, surfer person. And none of that happened. I thought I'd make new friends, but because my master's was actually attended by a lot of older criminal justice professionals including like I don't know judges in their 70s and wow, stuff like that yeah. it wasn't exactly like a student device. <laughs> uh, I was just there like I was 20 I think I was 24 yeah I was 24 I'm, I'm 30 now and I was like I don't know anyone I'm actually really alone <laughs> I don't know what to do so an acquaintance from the university suggested I should go to a showcase that her friend was performing at at a pole studio near our uni so i went and i was like this is so cool oh my god i need to do it and i went to my first trial class and i was hooked straight away i used to do artistic gymnastics as a child i wasn't like one of those russian gymnasts that are amazing i just (laughs) used to do it for fun but i I remember telling my mom i miss being upside down i miss how (laughs) dangerous it felt and so pole was actually perfect because there weren't any gymnastic classes that I knew of for adults. Yes. So pole is kind of like a spicy gymnastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's like
0: step up, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. So, and then obviously you said like from the beginning, you said you got into like the whole thing with online censorship quite selfishly. So how did your poll dancing and then criminology turn into what? you know, started your research into online censorship? So
1: my PhD was actually focusing on online abuse so right. harassment, all of the like horrible trolling, stuff, stuff trolling, like yeah, yeah exactly, I'm not going to say the case study that I focused on on air because everyone that has published research on that got trolled for life but oh, wow. I'm just going to say that I researched on a very high profile missing person case, even though this person has been missing for ages, there's constant harassment against the people involved online, mm-hmm. so I decided that I couldn't publish from my PhD conveniently or inconveniently during the second year of my PhD, which also was my second year as a pole dancer, Instagram started using shadow banning, which mm-hmm. is a form of light censorship where your content isn't outright deleted, but it's just not recommended to people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't show up to the explore page. It massively yeah. limits your reach essentially, which is not great as a content creator. And it's pretty bad for pole dancers because we learn through social media. So sometimes someone posts yeah. a cute combo and you're like, oh, I'm gonna try that. Or, you know, we network, we promote our classes through social media. Yeah. So It affected our earnings and our creativity and our ability to promote ourselves. But obviously pole dancing is an art and a sport that comes from stripping. So, you know, created by sex workers, popularized by sex workers. So sex workers were affected by this before pole dancers were. And the sex workers in my network, who are a great inspiration for me, both as activists and as performers, started sharing that their content was being targeted in all sorts of ways. So I started becoming interested in this because I thought, okay, I used to work in PR and social media strategy and I know how... Promotion works on social media. And I know that this type of content is supposed to get visibility. And I know how that visibility would be showing up in your statistic, but it's just not there. And then I thought I'm being censored because my content went from being seen by everyone to not being seen by that many people, while at the same time doing research on some horrible shit that isn't being censored. So I had all of these weird backgrounds that came together and made sense. Yeah. So I just thought. I'm going to write a blog post explaining this to my community and hopefully this will make our lives easier and we can start protesting against this. And because of my past in PR, I was like, I can't slag off Instagram without giving them the right to reply. Yeah. So I was like, I I wrote an email to their press department. I was like, lol, they're never going to reply, but my (laughs) ass is covered. And then they did reply. So actually that kickstarted a conversation where they initially denied that shadow banning was taking place. Mm. And then by the time Poll Dancer really started protesting and mass, they had to apologize. So Instagram directly apologized to Poll Dancers through my blog. And as a result of that, a variety of other people outside of sex work and pole dancing realized that this was happening to them mm. so this led to bigger campaigns bigger activism campaigns i was one of the co-creators of everybody visible which was an account that essentially demanded more clarity more fairness and more transparency from instagram and as a group we had some edu- we had some sex educators we had some performers we had some sex workers and pole dancers and even dita Vontees up. and posting in support of our campaign so it's just been going on and on Mm -hmm. for quite a while i would say since 2019 Mm -hmm. and I've basically just been publishing about my own experiences Mm -hmm. for quite a while because as someone who is very openly naked online, not all academic institutions want to give you a job and (laughs) the academic job market isn't great either. Mm -hmm. So it took me a year and a half to find a postdoctoral researcher position, which is what I'm doing now. So initially I could only publish about my own experience because I didn't have budget to pay for participants. But now luckily I have a job. And I can pay participants to talk about their experiences, which is why I'm trying to raise awareness about wider types of censorship, mm-hmm. even outside of my own personal unique experience.
0: Yeah. And how easy is is it to get the data on it? Because you said like Instagram deny that it's actually happening. So how can you, how are you able to prove that this is something that is actually happening to people?
1: That's an excellent question, actually. And that is something that has made publishing my research initially quite difficult because a lot of people were like, no, shadow banning is not a thing. Instagram deny it. They they say it doesn't happen. And then it took me quite a lot of iterations of explaining this in my drafts. But basically what I did at the time. And remember, this was before your non-recommendable status was available and visible in account status on Instagram. So this was before they even notified you. What I did was, look, before censorship started, before a variety of people started complaining about censorship, I had about 3,000 followers on Instagram, and yet my videos were reaching like 15,000 people. And then as soon as everybody started complaining about censorship, I had double the following, but a quarter of the views. Mm-hmm. It's not like people are viewing the content and not liking it. It's that people are just not seeing the content. Mm-hmm. So I compared those stats in the paper. It's a paper called The Shadowban Cycle, and it's published in Feminist Media Studies. And if you look it up, you can see the screenshots of the video, the video analytics of When I had less followers, when I wasn't a professional pole dance instructor, so I was an amateur and not as polished, you could argue. And then the screenshots from a video, the screenshots of the analytics of a video from when I had double the following, when I had been professionally trained, when I was teaching professionally, that were completely different. So... I think like a lot of the time platforms, but even, you know, the media, even communities in general Mm -hmm. tend to disregard user experience. They're like, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. They're making it up. But actually, users are experts of their own experiences with the algorithm. Mm -hmm. So I think we should believe them. And of course, you know, sometimes users are not aware of the ins and outs of tech policy. But a lot of what has been hearsay for quite a while, then turned out to be real. Yeah, turned out to be what was happening. There's basically been a watershed moment in the history of nudity on social media, and that was the approval of Foster Sesta by US Congress. Foster Sesta is an exception to Section 230 of the Telecommunications Act. Section 230 governed the way social media worked, so that if essentially someone went on Facebook and posted a link to a mass shooting, Mark Zuckerberg wasn't going to get done for it. He was just the intermediary allowing that video to be seen, but not condoning or endorsing Mm -hmm. that video. So. For now, that is still the case for all content apart from content that facilitates sex trafficking, which is what Foster SESTA changed. Now, while that might sound like a great thing, because Foster Sesta was pushed by a lobby of anti-sex, far-right evangelical Christians, the ultimate aim is to remove sex from the internet. So it's a law that lumps sex trafficking, which is a crime, with sex work, which is a job. And because something like pole dancing that comes from stripping and is so similar to stripping in terms of moves, in terms of aesthetic, in terms of amount of clothing, obviously an algorithm that works through machine learning can't distinguish Mm -hmm. that from you know let's say sex work and I you know obviously so many pole dancers are sex workers and vice versa so I also argue that it's not about distinguishing it it's actually about not lumping in a harm like sex trafficking with sexual expression and with sex
0: yeah there's actually there's nothing wrong with like pole dancing or sex work, either way. But yeah, it is like conflating it with a crime. Yeah. Is obviously really troublesome and it's dangerous for sex workers, I imagine.
1: It's really dangerous for sex workers because actually, foster that hasn't resulted in many charges. Mm-hmm. It's made it harder to prosecute sex traffickers because if you were trafficked via online means and that type of communication was still available online, then you could still be found because there was a record of you while now a lot of sex workers are being pushed underground and Mm -hmm. the issue with not even being able to promote your services to sell your services is that people have to go back to you know third-party managers or to let's say less less opportunities to vet your customers which used to make sex work a lot safer for people so it basically hasn't helped anyone apart from these lobbies that have called it a victory
0: yeah that's yeah, It's it's such a scary thing isn't it and yeah it's like you say like just because you you ban something doesn't mean that it's not going to happen it's just going to happen unsafely exactly and with people yeah unfortunately especially for survival sex workers they have to do what they have to do and that might not necessarily be safe for them or like it could be dangerous for absolutely anybody
1: it could be and and I think you know it's pathologizing sex in the process Mm. because if you look at some community guidelines on platforms you can basically see that sex work is in the same paragraph as harms like terrorism self-harm of like, this is not the same thing. Yeah. And and similarly, nudity is in the same paragraph as spam. And I'm like, this is not spam. Yeah, Some people actively choose to see nudity. They want to see nudity. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very Puritan, anti-sex, slippery slope because you get a largely male workforce that is interpreting anything that they view as sexual, as a sex object. But this is what they think. So, you know, there there have been I was interviewed by The Guardian for an investigation where they actively tested the algorithms and these algorithms scored even women going for like, you know, a breast scan or women working out or pregnant women Mm -hmm. as pornographic and racy. And I'm kind of like, you know, not king shaming anyone here, but it's not the norm to view a woman doing a breast scan as sexual. Yeah. So
0: it's because it's a woman's body. That's the only reason. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess like they, there was a time, I think, where the the exception was if a woman was breastfeeding, which on its own is a very bizarre thing because it's like, oh, it's okay if she's got a bruise out as long as there's a baby there. Like... That doesn't make any sense. It's like, oh, so women can either be mothers or like soliciting sex.
1: (laughs) It's it actually that policy was so bizarre I think the wording was something like you can't show breasts unless there's an infant attached to them but and I'm just thinking strange. of like an appliance just attached <laughs> to your boob but I think now it's breastfeeding, mastectomy or protest right. which again is bizarre because we can only show our bodies and have agency and, and power over our bodies if we are mothers, if we had cancer or if we're protesting right. and i'm like can we not just be happy in our bodies yeah like we i don't know when i look at myself naked if i'm in the shower or whatever i don't think sex i just think yeah body but it, it's it says a lot about who's watching yeah uh, and and how they're governing as a
0: result because you can see go on instagram and find a half naked man quite easily <laughs> and you won't get censored or shadow banned. <laughs> I'm sure his content thrives. <laughs> it's
1: gross. It's actually gross, like with with that algorithmic analysis of you know what algorithms perceive as racy Mm -hmm. the guardian found that a very sexual image of a man would not be viewed as pornographic even if it's like holding on to his package or like really oily and shirtless It's it's just i mean obviously it's a repetition and replication of offline inequalities Mm -hmm. but it's just quite funny that you know we just view technology as this force for change and actually it's not
0: yeah i mean like just what you said about like men's bodies it, I think it wasn't that long ago where it was like Tommy Lee whatever his name is had posted like his full dick on his feed and that was up there for hours and it's like if a woman had posted her genitals on there then there's no way it would stay up for more than a few seconds it's crazy to me like that I mean, was
1: wild it was wild
0: I remember I think it was like
1: Six hours that yeah. his dick was like still there. And I remember I was asked about this by a journalist and she was like, What do you think? And I was like, Well, that's not even the most transgressive thing Tommy Lee has done. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. Like it's crazy to me that there's fully clothed women that are getting censored for mm. nudity and sexual activity while this guy Posts full frontal nude and it's fine and it it tells you a lot of how those machines are targeted I think there's something with skin and there's something with the amount of skin Mm -hmm. he's very he's got that like Rockstar thin vibe so it's probably like it probably didn't pick up much Mm -hmm. but this is also why for instance plus size people are censored more because I think the algorithm works by picking up skin Mm -hmm. so anything that deviates from whichever norm the you know those that have set the algorithm have decided then they're you know they're seen as a violation which is completely messed up because you know you see that happen to Disabled people, you see Mm -hmm. that happen to people of color. And it's kind of like, you know, it'd be nice if you could actually just allow difference, if you could allow people to express themselves in different ways. Mm -hmm. Because I think for me, when I started Poll, One of the really healing things that I could see was that it was for everyone. You know, there's some very famous pole dancers that are amputees. There's a lot of gorgeous, you know, trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming people. (laughs) There's people of all shapes and sizes and abilities. And that was so important to me because I was coming from a place of hating my body as a result of an abusive relationship, a sexual assault. And I was like... This is so good because I'm I'm seeing so many people in studios and online that are supporting me and cheering me on. And as a result, I'm cheering them on because it's like such a beautiful, supportive environment where we can just exist in our bodies without Mm -hmm. having to feel threatened or scared or ashamed. And I would hate for people in similar experiences to mine or with similar experiences to mine to not be able to access that support and positivity yeah just because the platform has decided that boobs are bad
0: mm-hmm. yeah and yeah we've spoken a lot about how people are censorship, but it's also like what you mentioned before you've researched online abuse and i think that's also something that a lot of sex workers are subject to what are your findings like in that area so Something
1: that I've been researching on as part of my postdoc is malicious reporting or flagging. Mm-hmm. So basically people are reporting your content as going against community guidelines that results in people's profiles getting deleted. And sex workers and nude content creators, but also queer and particularly trans users are particularly vulnerable to that because they're already not welcome on platforms. Yeah. So it seems from you know, what I've found and from what even platforms have been communicating that all it takes is a few reports for your account to be taken down. And with that, there is your livelihood, your ability to yeah. organize. It's just really depressing. And so Meta's oversight board, which is their independent tribunal, which essentially decides whether Meta's decisions are human rights compliant or not. They, in in a case they examined about the deplatforming of bare-chested post by a couple of a trans uh, it was made of a trans woman and a non-binary person Mm. and basically they found that three reports were enough for their content to be deplatformed and to me that's ridiculous because you could have three people that hate you yeah and that could be gone and that could
0: be out of like thousands of people that have seen it as well. Yeah, yeah. And and it's
1: really ridiculous as well because I've been interviewing sex workers and LGBTQ plus activists who have found that, let's say, a client had turned sour. So they went and reported them yeah. and got their content deleted. There was a very high profile case of an incel in 2019 who racked up support from a lot of incels from his forum and basically got a variety of porn stars deplatformed because he was trying right. to purge the instagram of sin mm-hmm. and then even with lgbtq plus people i'm speaking to a lot of them that are based in italy and italy has a very strong far-right base unfortunately and some people ended up in a telegram group of fascists who got them deplatformed so there's so many ways in which these people are making um, marginalized users lives impossible mm-hmm. and platforms are either denying that this is happening or they're not doing anything yeah. about it and i think As much as I am critical of platforms, I don't think they sit at a table every day trying to think, how do we make Mm -hmm. their lives hard? But I think there's no communications in between departments to the point where they consider something only when it becomes a PR shit show, not when real users are saying, this is troubling, this is happening to me and it really affects Mm me. So I think rather than saying that platforms are malicious I would say they're showing great incompetence and carelessness and also just a form of presumption that whatever they do is right just because they have the technology and i was having a conversation with a fellow academic yesterday and we were saying this is because people do computer science degrees and they're not forced to take sociology or criminology modules and they don't empathize with people in poverty or people that are marginalized they just think technology is
0: right yeah yeah that's so interesting yeah they don't see how it can be weaponized which clearly it has been yeah Gosh, yeah. So how are these issues important to people who aren't sex workers or aren't like, you know, in that sort of realm or umbrella of work? I actually if that's okay I would
1: like to flip that question back to you because yeah. obviously you're a lingerie brand yeah. how does that affect you Have I mean
0: you- it does affect us a lot yeah we actually interestingly I think it was just a few weeks ago we realized that we weren't coming up in searches and so I was doing a little bit of research and shadow banning and that's when all your <laughs> articles came up and I realized you were the only person who had really written about it in great detail so yeah it does affect us a lot purely because we show women in lingerie of different sizes and shapes and yeah obviously the algorithm recognizes that as sexual solicitation which isn't because there's nothing inherently sexual about lingerie and it can make you feel sexy doesn't mean that it's sexual and we have noticed a lot that companies who use very Conventionally pretty, like cis female models don't get shadow banned as much as we do. And obviously, because we use like a very diverse set of models, different genders, different shapes, different races, like, yeah, we definitely get targeted <laughs> because of that. And people seem to find our content quite upsetting, especially like, yeah, when we work with trans people as well, like, we do get targeted. And, but luckily, like we haven't had many things reported, but definitely on TikTok and stuff like our videos get taken down all the time and it makes it really difficult.
1: Yeah I mean this is like a prime example right like you are a business Mm. you're a very above board business technically like I think because I think a lot of platforms excuses are we don't know whether that nudity is consensual we don't know if that person is being trafficked and I'm like you're literally a registered company you are a brand All it takes is one look at your profile to realize that you're a brand Mm -hmm. and yet you're still affected by it. And I would say you're a major brand, but imagine like an independent lingerie shop that started yesterday and, you know, that not being able to access your audience that could like knock you you know out from the start it makes your customers inaccessible to you yeah so obviously sex workers are going to be the most targeted but this affects brands and businesses across the board and i think ultimately it's a societal problem because it's a repetition and a a replication of the male gaze online Mm -hmm. where anything seen as womanly is inherently sexual and therefore somehow dangerous so it's kind of telling women you can be sexual on our terms and you can be sexual if we're consuming this sexiness but if you're being sexy for yourself Mm -hmm. either because you make money for it or because this is how you express yourself we don't agree it essentially removes consent from social media because I so I've been deplatformed by Instagram once and I still don't know why because it was straight after a picture with my grandma of all things and then by TikTok four times and sometimes so out of those four times it was three times in one week alone it was actually so frustrating and all the time it was ridiculous stuff. Like even the things that got me deleted from TikTok, it was it was some of my sweaty pool videos. It wasn't even some of the sexy, twerky stuff. It was like <laughs> yeah. some boring, you know, combo that I was teaching. And it really made me think I was like, you know, sometimes I actively sexualize myself because I want to, because I need to express myself sexually that way. But sometimes I'm posting a silly video and some algorithm or some person thinks I'm having sex I haven't yeah. consented to that you know I haven't consented to be viewed and mm-hmm. consumed in that way so it's a really interesting relationship that I think makes it a wider societal problem because yeah. it seems that sexualization of women is rife on platforms mm-hmm. but that's only when those women are not in charge of that sexualization it's it's always when someone's nudes are leaked mm-hmm. or you know someone paparazzi picture up her skirt is posted but if someone wants to make money out of online sex work or if someone wants to shake her ass pole dancing or make money out of a lingerie collab they can't do it so i think it says a lot about you know how society works Mm -hmm. and i think that's why we should all care about it and also, you know, sex workers are people. We should care about people.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And on the flip side of it is the things that don't get censored and the things that are widely available that are actually harmful. Like, for example, Andrew Tate, like and he, he obviously has such power over certain men and they see a lot of value in what he says, for whatever reason that might be but things like that don't get deplatformed and then it's quite the people are quite happy to let people consume that and it's like yeah even when i first started this job like 7 years ago we had loads of problems on facebook and facebook was a huge issue because all the posts were getting taken down and we had so many like very 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 troublesome comments that I was reporting and then Facebook would decide actually no that's not hate speech or bullying and then when this person's openly threatening someone it's just wild like what, what they will accept and what they won't accept
1: I completely agree and you know if you look at Andrew Tate like when was he censored when he became a media shit show yeah. like a PR shit show for the company to deal with otherwise they weren't really dealing with it Yeah. and I've had very similar experiences to yours like I get you know, particularly on TikTok even so now not so much because I'm shadow banned as fuck but before Mm. I used to get quite a lot of rape threats or Mm. like all sorts of harassment and every time I reported them they didn't go against community guidelines Mm. and I think because I researched on online abuse I am not as affected by them as maybe your average survivor would be because I know that it's a script So if you think about it, it sounds like it comes from the same person, even when it comes from multiple accounts. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like they could be directed at anyone. Like they're not personal. They're about what you represent. But there was one comment that really hurt me or not even hurt me, but like upset me because it was by a teenage girl. And she said, oh, and then people are surprised when they get raped. Like, look what she's doing. And it made me so sad because I was like, you're a teenager and you think like this, like yeah. what must your life be like? And if those are the things that we're not challenging because we're too scared to show some naked women on social mm-hmm. media, we're essentially telling women that their sexual freedom, their individual f- freedom, even just displaying their bodies makes them deserving of rape. It's yeah. it's just absurd.
0: Yeah, that that is really troubling. Yeah, yeah especially so. like, gosh, you just can't imagine like, what kind of conversations that person must be having to be thinking things like that is really upsetting. What do you think like the, someone who's not a sex worker, what can they do to sort of help change the script?
1: I think there's a few things. I think on like a very immediate level, you can keep sharing the content posted by your sexy content creator Mm -hmm. friends because chances are they will be shadow banned, so they will not be seen by other people. So if you engage with their content, if you comment on it, if you like it, if you share it to your stories, It can help them. I'm aware that, you know, if someone is advertising something that might make your own account risk censorship, people might be scared of doing that. But maybe, you know, even if it's not their latest post, I'm sure you can share one of their pictures, something that is less scary for you to share, or maybe that will make your family judge you less. (laughs) Because I know that some people are scared of sharing that type of content for fear of judgment because obviously there's stigma against sex and sex work. But I think also, you know, a lot of people, a lot of these people will face the platforming. So if you know people at platforms, bring these issues to them and protest. If you work at a platform, make sure that your colleagues are aware of these people's plight and i think also in general the direction that social media regulation is taking in a lot of countries is that of a moral panic so it's like oh my god look what our children are seeing this is so scary and all of these regulations against pornography they sound great on paper because they're like this is gonna stop women being Mm -hmm. sexualized and i'm like no it's not it's only gonna make porn less searchable, and it's going to take porn to less mainstream platforms, making it more extreme and making those workers work in harder conditions. It's going to, you know, make them lose work. So actually, all of these laws are not very nuanced. So I think it's always very important to bring it back to, but actually, what do these workers want? So if someone has a voice in this industry, I think it's very important to bring it back to the people that are actually affected. There was a report published by a UK government committee very recently, which judged all porn as sexual exploitation and didn't interview one single sex worker for it. So I think it's unacceptable to be working in this space Mm -hmm. without involving sex workers and if people work in this space they must involve them and i think you know on a bigger level just protesting protesting Mm -hmm. protesting it doesn't seem like much it doesn't seem like it gets anywhere sometimes but actually sometimes instagram when there is public backlash against something they you know repeal some decisions so i think it's important to make noise i don't love twitter now because elon has ruined it but twitter is where all the journalists are so you know it's a good way of raising awareness of something happening Mm. through the hashtag journal request just making noise in all sorts of ways that are available to us i try to do my bit with posts educating about a type of censorship taking place but even just people sharing their stories and then as a result their followers share them can do a great deal
0: yeah and do you think the platforms like care to change or
1: I think platforms are big ginormous organisms and organizations that include a lot of different people so actually the people that work in policy or the single worker do really care about Mm -hmm the effect that their governance has on users. Sometimes they're not even aware of the full of extent of where things are headed. I think the issue is at the top because you get a monopoly of tech bros that at the end of the day just wanna make money. Yeah. You have a very Puritan, largely North American mindset. So I would say that the owners don't care that much, but the, you know, the workers making up the company do. I think there's a variety of things that could change in the future. Maybe monopolies are going to be broken up and it's not just going to be this conglomerate of Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, whatever. I don't know. But I think what really needs to change is this presumption that they're right. I think they need to start being a bit more humble and realize that there are a lot of they're not speaking to
0: yeah definitely Mm -hmm. and when you go to these like tech companies like do you feel like they take you seriously or do they see you like as a pole dancer and not an academic so it
1: took years to get into the meta offices yeah <laughs> and i'm not speaking to tiktok at the moment so and they're not really speaking to me rather it's not like i'm mad at tiktok it's like <laughs> they don't like me so for instance with instagram it was really interesting that they replied straight away to my mm-hmm. press request because i was just a small blogger at the time i had A quarter of the following I have now so I'm kind of like why did they even reply maybe Mm. they regret it by now (laughs) but the press department I think they were taking me seriously maybe they just saw it as a potential for you know engaging with users so they were like okay we'll deal with her but I think the difficult step was from press to actually get to speak to policy and to the people making decisions Mm. and that only happened to me when I created this change.org petition which got over 100,000 signatures and i think meta tend to react to that stuff because it's like okay it's a stakeholder yeah. engagement they're not very happy with this let's talk to them so that was the first time where i showed that petition and through a mutual academic contact i could get to speak to someone at meta policy this was at the end of 2020 but still I just finished my PhD. I didn't have an affiliation with a research center like I do now. So they were talking to me and clarifying a few things, but they weren't really giving me anything. And I remember at the beginning of 2020 protesting outside Meta's offices with sex workers in stripper shoes and we weren't being let in. (laughs) And then something clicked over the summer when I think Meta realized that As loud and annoying as I am, I'm a bit of an asset because I'm both a creator and a researcher. So I was able to feed back on their nudity policies inside their offices in December. Now, I don't know if they're going to take this up, Mm -hmm. but it was good to be let in personally. It was quite cathartic after my experiences of censorship. And also because I could relay the concerns of my participants Mm -hmm. and of my communities. With TikTok, I just can't. Really speak to them. Like, I got apologies from them through a journalist when my profiles were deleted and reactivated. And they were always reactivated because a journalist wrote an article about me, you know, because their infrastructure actually worked. But they don't want to engage. And I remember presenting at a conference in Stanford last autumn. Yeah, it was autumn. And uh, talking about my experiences of deplatforming. And someone from TikTok came up to me, or they weren't at TikTok anymore. They'd worked at TikTok and they were like, look, I get your problem, but they don't see themselves as a freedom of expression company. So I don't know how seriously they're going to take this because while Meta sold themselves to us as a platform to share our views, Mm -hmm. you know, the Arabs bring like, look what we did. Like we gave people a platform to, you know, rebel against their governments. TikTok never really did that. So they don't have that contradiction Mm -hmm. that users can exploit. So I think they do take me seriously I think it took ages for them to take me seriously and I think it's always a really difficult relationship to manage but I'm, I'm trying my best and I'm hoping that this relationship will continue because I think speaking to them showed me that they're not actually evil people they just don't really speak to communities mm. and i think a lot of the time because c- teams don't communicate with each other there's a problem created by one technology or one policy or the combination of those two and it's not being addressed yeah but they do get really upset when i tell them the effect that their policies have i just don't know whether Things are going to get changed because it doesn't Mm -hmm. depend on them, if that makes sense. It's like a a massive, a massive company.
0: Yeah, it takes a lot of grafting to get to that point. It sounds exhausting. (laughs) It is.
1: My inbox is endless requests to help people recover their accounts. And I have no power over that. Sometimes I can expedite things, but it like it doesn't depend on me. So it just feels sometimes like someone's job or someone's livelihood depends on whether I could get their account in front of Instagram or not and it's really sad because it shouldn't be up to me their appeals Mm -hmm. should work
0: yeah they absolutely should and do you think it like since starting your research and protesting has has much changed do you think so Before we
1: weren't even notified of shadow banning. So I think it's a positive thing Mm -hmm. that now we at least get told on Instagram, not on TikTok. Still the most affected are people sharing nudity. So not much has changed in, in that sense. I don't know. Part of me thinks that censorship is actually getting worse, but I think there is more awareness of it. Yeah. Like, I think, so for instance, one of the organizations that I presented my paper to was Ofcom. So, Ofcom are going to be the UK regulator for the online safety bill. So, they're very aware that a positive decision to ban some type of content might have unintended consequences against another type of content. Mm-hmm. They want to make sure that they don't amplify that. I think knowing that a lot of organizations are aware of this is a positive step. Mm -hmm. And obviously there have been changes within Instagram for the account status thing, but you know we're still in puritan
0: land yeah mm-hmm. does it feel like a uphill battle though because it feels like every time sort of progress is made on these platforms and something like outside and like the government like a law gets passed or things like that so it feels like there's constantly new battles coming up it's like whack a <laughs> it definitely is like that and i think governments are
1: not up to date With things or aware of things. Like, I mean, even if you look at the US TikTok hearing, you could tell that those people interviewing the TikTok CEO had never used apps. It was really (laughs) weird. And then I'm like, these people are in charge of making the laws that are going to affect us. Mm -hmm. And if you think that already legislation is like 10 years behind technology, and then it's these people that are making the laws, then I'm like, we're doomed.
0: Yeah. It's, it is crazy isn't it it's like I think it's so much of it is just fear based of what could happen or think of the children kind of attitude that people have <laughs> and yeah. it's like children are a lot more <laughs> accepting than you think that they are definitely and they're also a lot more tech savvy yeah. I think like there is something to be said
1: about the addictiveness of technology the the harassment that teens get I think that's really really important or even seeing you know damaging content around self-harm and eating Mm. disorders like I completely understand that so much needs to be regulated but at the same time I don't think we're giving kids credit like every time I teach youngsters I don't teach much now because my post is research only right now but sometimes I do lectures at like undergrad level or sometimes I even speak to teenagers and they're so tech savvy. they're so aware of technology mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I'm just like, we're, we're treating them like fools. And actually they know a lot more. And part of what I found in my PE was that a lot of people that engaged in online harassment or shared conspiracy theories were actually over
0: 50s because they don't have that digital literacy. Yeah, that makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah, I can believe that, yeah. sadly. What's next for you? Like where are you planning to sort of take this or take um, your research?
1: So I'm currently doing a set of workshops with censored content creators and censored users across the board from LGBTQ users to activists, journalists, sexual content creators and, and educators and stuff. And I'm really enjoying that because I've created these little tarot cards that are like archetypes of a censored users designed by an amazing product designer within my research center. So I'm really enjoying doing that because we are actually trying to design solutions to these mm-hmm. issues that I'm hopefully going to get to present to platforms. And then, yeah, I mean, I would like to get some research funding to take all of this stuff yeah. further and to be able to expand this research and speak to more and more people. My dream is to actually write a book about censorship that is accessible to people and that helps people mm-hmm. and that pushes you know, both the public and institutions to do better with censorship. But yeah, I don't have a literary agent yet. So that would be nice if somebody. <laughs> anyone was, listening.
0: Anyone listening. <laughs> yeah.
1: Other than that, I just want to be able to see naked people online. And I just want to yeah. be able to share my poll stuff online without having to appeal over and over again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just just hoping for joy, really, which is sometimes stripped from the posting process.
0: Yeah. Just your right to exist. That's yeah like you are <laughs> yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. and I you
1: know I'm massively privileged because as an academic someone with contacts in big tech and in journalism my livelihood doesn't depend on this mm-hmm. anymore but I know what it feels like when it does like when, when I was a full-time pole dance instructor in between jobs and that was my only income there's people just trying to exist mm-hmm. and it's just not fair the way things are going right now
0: it was such a pleasure to speak Mm -hmm. to you this is all so interesting and I think like it's something that a lot of people can resonate with like whether or not you're a sex worker you people are aware of this happening and yeah like being able to have a safe space online is something that like we really take for granted I think so Mm
1: -hmm. yeah
0: I think all the work you do is amazing thank you
1: so much for having me (laughs) and thank you for sharing your experiences as well because I think you know a brand like yours is so important especially because you show that you don't have to be of a certain body type or gender or race to be beautiful and I think it's only fair that you get seen and that you you get work so yeah. hopefully if someone at platforms is listening
0: <laughs> do better show all our posts to people Stop shadow banning us yeah <laughs> okay thank you so much again thank you It was lovely to be here thank you for listening to to put it playfully if you want to follow us on social media find us at playful promises and don't forget to hit the subscribe button to learn about our new podcast episodes see you then